Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Lovely to be back at the uh, chapel of uh, Tyndale University College and Seminary. Thank you uh, for the privilege and the honor, renewing acquaintances and making some new acquaintances. Glad to be here this morning. Thank you so very, very much. Let me tell you about my favorite, all-time favorite sports story. It's the story of Derek and Jim Redmond. Uh, Derek ran for Britain in Barcelona, Spain, the Summer Olympics, 1992. Ran the 400-meter race, made it to the semifinals. It was in the middle of that race that it happened. He popped a hamstring muscle, fell to the track, languishing and anguishing. The, what happened was recorded this way on the front page of the Toronto newspaper. He limped and hobbled around the final half of the 400-meter semifinal, his face contorted with pain and tears, but determined to finish. Though the race was over and his Olympic dream shattered by the pop of a muscle, the sight was too much for his father, Jim Redmond, sitting near the top of the stands. He rushed down flights of stairs, blew past the security people out onto the track. I wasn't interested in what they were saying, Jim Redmond said. I don't speak any Spanish, and you don't need any credential in emergencies. Jim Redmond, 49 years of age, caught up with his son at the top of the final curve, putting one arm around Derek's waist, another around his left wrist. At first, I didn't realize it was Dad, Derek said. Then he shouted my name. I recognized his voice. It must have been hard for him. They moved in tandem for a few meters, then Derek Redmond stopped, threw his arms around his dad's shoulders and sobbed. Then they started again with their three-legged wobble. A few steps from the finish line, Jim Redmond let his son go so he could cross the line alone. Then he embraced him again. This is his last Olympics, Jim Redmond said. He worked eight years for this, and I wasn't going to let him not finish. Well, when I read that story, I found myself saying, wow, what a dad. Because I'm a dad, four kids. But as I've reflected on the story, I find myself saying, wow, that's encouragement. That's encouragement. It seems to me that an environment where we honor and respect healthy criticism, that encouragers are an endangered species. It can happen at a university college. It can happen at a seminary. It can certainly happen when you get involved in ministry. We get so wrapped up in criticism that we become critics. And the encouragement is, um, is set to the side in favor of the, of the criticism. We need to be careful about that, and I think this reason. I want to argue this morning that the most valued person in any Christian marriage is the encourager. And I'd like to argue that the most wanted person in any Christian family is an encourager. And I know 
that the most needed person in any Christian church is an encourager. A few years ago, a Lutheran bishop in North Dakota sent out a paper to all the people in his parish. On that little letter, he listed 112 action words, verbs. He asked them to circle the ones that they thought were requirements for leadership in their churches. The results were astonishing. Because the one that I thought was at the top was number 23. Of 112, teaching was number 23. The one that some people who are involved in Christian ministry think would be at the top because it seems to have wormed its way to the top, is administration. It was 21 on the list. Would you like to hear the top five? Number five, pray. Number four, love. Number three, inspire. Number two, encourage. Number one, listen. If you watch very carefully, at those five, you'll discover that they all are dimensions of encouragement. They're all aspects of encouragement. They're all techniques of encouragement. What folks were saying to the bishop is that the most wanted person and the most needed person in our churches today is encouragers. The mandate for that is laid out clearly for us in our Bible. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to it because it's important for us to see how it fits into the context here. Hebrews chapter 10 establishes the mandate for this ministry of encouragement. In these uh, Tuesday chapels, your theme has been this year, the church. And so my aspect to that that I want to address this morning is this, that the church is conceived and perceived by God to be a community of encouragement. The mandate for that is Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider, that is, let's plan, let's strategically think through. What now? Let us strategically think through how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you need to remind yourself of the fact that the author here is writing to a church that's under duress. Some have already defected from the faith. Many of them are discouraged and struggling with disillusionment. And his message to them is this. Here's the mandate. Here's the instruction. The instruction's clear. Strategically plan how to encourage one another. Have, a, have an agenda. Have a strategy to encourage one another. That, that's God's plan for the Christian church is to be a community of people who encourage one another. Now, you'll know that the verb that the author uses here is a picture word. And the picture that's wrapped up in that word to encourage 
is to come alongside to help. When I read that verse and look at that word, I see Jim Redman sitting up in the Coliseum, up in the bleachers, watching his son down on the track, embarrassing himself, anguishing in pain. He's got some options. He can ignore the boy. He's a loser. He could come down inside at the track and yell at the boy. He's his son. He can criticize the boy. Lots of things that he can do. But what he chooses to do is to come alongside and help. He wants to take him to the finish line and let him finish well. That's the picture of the verb that's used here. When I read the verse and see that verb, I think of the Holy Spirit. Because this is the very word that's used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit who comes along beside us to help. To help us on our way. Some of the versions today translate that word in their translations, the helper. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we've just been singing about God by his spirit, faithful to us, never alone, never leaves us, sees us. That's his ministry to us. When I look at that word, I think of some people who have the spiritual gift of encouragement. It's listed among the gifts in the epistles as one of the spiritual gifts. And some of you men and women have this as a spiritual endowment. You are especially gifted by God in the area of encouragement. It's a wonderful gift to have. It's a needed gift. It's a valued gift. It's an appreciated gift. Don't ever set that aside. Don't let, it let, let anything else supersede that gift. If you've been given that gift, I want you to know this morning that it's got a high price tag on it. It's valued. It changes churches and changes lives. That gift. Some of you have got that gift. But when I read this verse, I think of a group like us. I think of a congregation on Sunday morning. This is not reserved for specially gifted people. The injunction that's given to us is encourage one another. That's a directive that's given to me. That's a directive that's given to you. This is one of the famous one another's in the New Testament. We talk about it. We think about it. But what we're going to be encouraged to do in our passage this morning is to strategically plan how we can do that. The instruction is clear. God's design, God's picture for the local church is, of course, multifaceted. But one of the pictures is that it be a community of encouragement. A few years ago, we had Tony Campola come to the president's banquet here at the school. Uh, he told some great stories, as only Tony Campola can tell. But one of the stories he told was that his home church was in search for a pastor and uh, finally came upon the search conclusion. And uh, one Sunday morning, he happened to be in the congregation, he said. And the chairman of the search committee stood up and announced who they had just invited to come 
and who they had appointed to be their new pastor. And Campola was incensed. He got angrier and angrier as he sat in the audience and listened to the invitation and the announcement. And um, he couldn't wait for the service to be over. And he made a beeline for the chairman of the search committee. And he said to the search committee something like this, according to him, with saliva coming from his mouth as it does when he speaks. He speaks fluent English, you see. And you don't ever sit close to Tony Campola when he's preaching. And uh, he's, getting, he's getting angry and angry. And he says to him something like this. He said, he said, this is a great church. And what we need is a great pastor. And you've invited somebody who is a virtual unknown, a young person, unskilled, untrained, unexperienced. And we, 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 we need a great pastor. And the chairman of the search committee put his hand up on Tony's shoulder and sort of calmed him down a little bit. And he said, Tony, that's exactly what we expect to make him. That's a church committed to encouragement. It's a community of encouragement. Well, that's the, that's the instruction in the text. It's one of the one another's laid upon us. We're to encourage one another. So how are you doing? Is that, is that a distinctive that you have? Is it even part of your agenda? Have you ever strategized? Well, the reason why that's so important is because after the instruction is clear, the influence is very impressive. Did you see what the influence of it is in our text? Well, there's a cause and effect relationship between verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 is uh, the effect. He says, I want you to strategically plan how to stimulate one another. Well, I like the word motivate. How to motivate one another to Christian love and to Christian good deeds. Now, if you've been involved in Christian ministry very long, you've already discovered that one of the greatest challenges to Christian leadership at any level, youth pastor, Sunday school teacher, Bible class teacher, worship leader, pastor, Bible teaching pastor, one of the greatest challenges to anyone in Christian ministry, in Christian leadership, is the challenge of motivation. How do you motivate people? And the motivation, there's a double motivation in our text, to motivate people toward love, that's Christian character. And to motivate people toward good works, that's the Christian service. So he says, I want you to strategically plan now how you're going to motivate the people in that young Bible class of yours, the young people in that group of yours, the congregation, the Bible class. I want you to strategically plan how you're going to motivate them to the development of Christian character and to Christian good works and so on. That's the effect. What's the cause? Verse 25, encouraging one another. That's the influence of encouragement. That's how you motivate people. It's by encouraging them. Communities of encouragement take people and move them on and help them to the finish line so that they can cross the finish line with integrity and with honor. And they do it by encouragement. That's the picture of our text to be committed to that. Well, I want to encourage you to consider that. So what's your strategy for encouragement? What's your plan to, what's your plan to encourage your pastor? 
What's your plan to encourage your children? What's your plan to motivate your husband or your wife? What's your strategy to motivate them? Well, you want to do it by encouraging them, not standing back and observing and criticizing, not attacking. What's your strategy? Well, of course, your strategy can involve a variety of techniques. So let me mention some. It seems to me that the most common strategy that would come to our mind is that we motivate people by encouraging them with a spoken word. Bill Glass is one of our favorite evangelists. He does a lot of work in the United States among prisons. He says that one day he was speaking to a thousand men in prison. He said to them, how many of you men had parents that told you that someday you would end up in prison? Raise your hand. He said that he looked over the gang. He said he could hardly find a man who didn't raise his hand. You tell your kids often enough that they're going to end up in prison. And the chances are they're going to end up in prison, apparently. How do you motivate people toward love, good deeds, You motivate them by spoken words. Proverbs has a lot to say about spoken words, doesn't it? I love chapter 12, verse 25. It's a key one that everyone involved in Christian work needs to remember. It says that anxiety weighs the heart down, but a good word makes it glad. That's the encourager. The encouragers have got a good word. And it makes all the difference in the world. Larry Crabb is one of our much appreciated... um, leaders in the whole area of encouragement. That, by the way, is one of the ways this word is translated. And one of the gifts that's oftentimes associated with it is the gift of counseling. And um, that's what Larry Crabb is. He's written books on counseling. He's taught seminary courses on counseling. He's traveled the world counseling. And uh, one of his his major focuses and emphasis is on encouragement. And I'll tell you why. I know Larry. I've been in his home a number of times, and I know his background. When he was in high school, he stuttered, and he stuttered badly. He was the president of his graduating class when it came to the end of high school. One day in the student assembly, when all the student body was gathered in the auditorium, the principal, without notice, asked Larry to come to the platform as the president of the graduating class to make some kind of announcement. As Larry came to the platform, he stood in front of the student body, and his speech impediment clicked in. And he stuttered and stammered and humiliated himself. And eventually just simply walked down, sat down in his chair, put his head between his knees and cried a little bit. And he said, I said to myself, I will never speak in public again. Several years later, he was in a worship series service where there was opportunity for spontaneous worship. And he said he just, he just felt like praying. And so spontaneously, he stood up to pray. His speech impediment clicked in. And he stuttered and stammered and embarrassed himself to tears. And he sat down and he renewed his vow. I will never speak in public again. When the service came to a conclusion and someone was closing in prayer, Larry stood up, walked down the aisle. 
He wanted to get out before anyone caught him. A sensitive, alert elder in the group heard the shuffle, opened his eyes, saw Larry making it for the back door. He stood up, walked back, and intercepted him at the back door. He put his arms around Larry's shoulders and he said, Larry, whenever you do anything for the glory of God, you've got our 1,000% support. And it changed Larry's life. Now he talks a lot about encouragement because he's the product of a church that was a community of encouragement. That's the power and influence of this ministry, this ministry of encouragement. And I commend it to you. If there's anything more powerful than a spoken word, it's a written word. Written word are marvelous because they, they're on paper. You can take them home. You can put it in your Bible. You can put it in your bedside table. You can read it. If you came to my home, I could show you three files I have in my file cabinets. They're all entitled Letters of Encouragement. One for my nine years when I was pastoring and ministering down in Dallas, Texas. One for my 10 years when I was in London, Ontario, pastoring in a church there. And then one for Toronto, Ontario, Canada, when I was involved in leadership and ministry here. And in those files, I've got some letters of encouragement. Someday when I get old and have nothing to do, I might open them up and read them. <laughs> but I tell you, it's neat to be able to well, be going through my file and slip by those files, letters of encouragement. You want, to, you want to minister to people? You want to influence people? You want to shape people's lives? Then try letters of encouragement. Uh, a few years ago, Wheaton College sports program was a disaster. They hired a new athletic director. He made one major decision in his strategy. He decided that every day he would write three notes of encouragement to different athletes in his program. That decision transformed the athletic program at Wheaton College. That's what the text is saying. You need to strategize how you're going to spur people on to the development and the maturity of their character and to Christian service. And one of the ways to do that is written notes. When was the last time you wrote to a missionary from your church? When was the last time you wrote a written note to your parents? You want to encourage people? Try written notes. So now watch my little handful. A spoken word, a written word, a listening ear, Job's friends for seven days listened. A gentle touch, Jesus touched the leper in Luke, Mark, Mark chapter 1. Touched. A, a hug, a handshake. Uh, holding the arm. You want to encourage somebody? A gentle touch. Hospitality. Priscilla and Aquila, the Apostle Paul. Acts of service. Onesiphorus to Paul when he was in prison. Giving the Philippian church to Paul when he was in prison. And then the final one in my little handful is prayer. You want to encourage somebody? Seriously. Seriously. Commit yourself to become a prayer supporter of that person and let them know. Be in touch with them. Tremendous encouragement to people in Christian ministry, and you can be that to those people. 
because you're going to certainly appreciate that as you become more and more involved in Christian ministry. So there it is. The instruction is clear. We're to encourage one another. The influence is very impressive. That's how you spur people on to development of character and ministry. And then the text concludes with the incentive that's compelling. And the incentive is comp- that's compelling, he says, is, and do it all the more as you see the day approaching. And we're going to leave that point to your eschatological imagination as to where that fits in. The invitation to you this morning is this. Commit yourself to be part of a community that is a community of encouragement. Start it here on campus. Start it in your Bible class. Contribute to it in your church. Jamie was a grade two pupil at school, going off to school one morning, because all excited because the parts of the play were going to be given out. Mum was very anxious because she wasn't sure Jamie was going to get a part in the play. So she decided when it came time to come home from school that she better go pick up Jamie just in case he's really upset and discouraged because he didn't get a good part in the play. So she goes, parks her car, the ring door, uh, bell rings, the door opens, students come out, Jamie comes out, he spots the car, and there's mum sitting in the car. He runs over to the car, jumps in the front seat beside his mum and turns to her and says, Mom, guess what? I've been chosen to clap and to cheer. <laughs> and so have we. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and open our eyes and open our minds to the incredible influence and power, the incredible effect it can be for us to become encouragers, a ministry that uh, can be overshadowed by so many, but that is so urgently pressing and needing. Thank you that churches that are communities of encouragement are a pleasure and a delight to you and they're a blessing to people. Help us to be part of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Give you a good rest of the day.